on this landmark day in Philadelphia. Welcome to Studio 2. I'm Abby Wolfman Arendt. And I'm Cherry Gregg. Today, thousands are gathered at the Met on North Broad Street here in Philadelphia for a historic inauguration ceremony. The city council meeting, which is in session as we speak, is a swearing in of city council members, row office holders, judges, and of course, the city's 100th mayor, the Honorable Sherelle Parker, the first woman to hold the office. We will take her remarks live at the appropriate time. Yeah, we're waiting for that speech to begin. But with us right now, we've got a great team to help us analyze those remarks when they come. And of course, this moment in Philadelphia history. Across from me is Dave Davies. You know him well, former WHYY political reporter and a Fresh Air contributor. Welcome, Dave. Hey, good to be here, Avi. Cherry. Also have Kelly Dittmar, Associate Professor of Political Science at Rutgers University Camden and Director of Research at the Center for American Women in Politics at the Eagleton Institute of Politics. Kelly, welcome to Studio 2. Thanks for having me. And before we dig into our conversation, we want to bring in WHYY's Tom McDonald. He is at the Met right now witnessing this historic moment in city history. Tom, can you give us a brief recap of the ceremony thus far that you've seen this morning? As Avi said at the beginning, this is a regular session of city council. The antique desks are transported from the fourth floor of City Hall, brought here to the Met, and it is configured as a council chambers. They start out with the reorganization of council, and they just swore all the council members in. Also, Kenyatta Johnson was just approved as the next council president. You're going to hear the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Choir coming up behind me. After that, we're going to have a poetry reading after the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Choir, and then we're going to have the highlight of the day, Mm -hmm. the swearing in of the 100th mayor of Philadelphia, Sherelle Parker, and her announcement of her 100-day initiatives. Some of those include issuing an executive order declaring a public safety emergency in town, having the police commissioner work on the street and increase the number of police officers on the street, and also a bunch of other things that we will find out more when they're officially signed in this afternoon. Tom, real quick, before we let you go, uh, you mentioned Kenyatta Johnson already officially anointed as council president. He made some remarks earlier. Anything you took away from that? Uh, Any recap you can give to the folks who missed those words earlier? Well, it's very interesting. He laid out his agenda. He wants to work on a number of issues that have been plaguing the city, including the gun violence issue and also increasing diversity and helping fund education in a more fruitful basis from both state, city, and federal. And he also spoke about his recent run-in with the law where he was cleared of corruption charges. He said that they are working hard and have continued to work hard for the city even while they were undergoing trial, and they are going to continue to work to make the city a better place to live and work. Thank you so much, Tom McDonald. At the Met right now, As you witnessing can clearly this, hear. <laughs> uh, this historic day. And so I want to zoom out and, and talk to you, Dave Davies and Kelly Dittmar. Um, you just heard, you know, uh, Tom talk about city council uh, and this mayor. They are going to have to work together. How important is that relationship between our incoming mayor and our brand new city council president? Dave, we'll start with you. Yeah, it's really important. I mean, they have to work together to be effective, and not all mayors have. I mean, going back to Bill Green, he fought with council just hammer and tong. She comes from council, Sherelle Parker, so she knows them well. But it's a pretty new crew, you know, of yeah. the 17 members. 
Uh, only five have been there more than one term. I mean, eight of them were either elected in a special election over the last term, partly due to one departure due to corruption charges and some other things, and then four are brand new. So they'll all be kind of feeling their way through this. But I know one of Parker's strengths is her building relationships with other politicians. She's been doing that all her life. Yeah, Dave, I'm curious. You mentioned that Bill Green had a strained relationship with mm-hmm. counsel. Um, in your estimation, was there a relationship that worked best, a mayor-council-president relationship that worked best over the years that you covered? I, a lot of folks, for instance, talk about Ed Rendell and his relationship with then-council-president before he became mayor, John Street. Is that the one that stands out to you? Any others? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's alone and apart in terms mm-hmm. of an effective working relationship because Ed Rendell and his chief of staff, David L. Cohen, decided that Street is going to run council with it like a tight ship, and so He's going to get what he needs. I mean, if he needs some jobs from associates, if she, he needs quick action on some issue of interest, he's going to get it. And they would have regular meetings, uh, and, and the mayor would go up to Street's office, which was an interesting gesture. You know, mayor's got a big office. He's, he's the top person. You might think, you come. No, You're no. Right. He would go, I come to you. You don't come to me. He would go to Street's office. And again, that whole thing of building relationships really matters. And so I think that's the example uh, of the, well, the m- most close and productive working relationship. Yeah, and Kelly, I want you to jump in here. I mean, we've already seen, um, you know, uh, Mayor Parker now uh, has already laid out her 100-day plan. Um, I want you to react to that, lay it out a little bit. We're going to hear more about it in her upcoming speech. But just, you know, she's doing a lot to sort of hit the ground running day Day one, basically. Yeah, I mean, she's put out a 100-day action plan. She's consistent with what she's been saying throughout the campaign, a very simple message, but important one of safer, cleaner, greener city. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the plan, it's going to hit on those points, right? She's going to focus on these executives, starting with this executive order for public safety, Mm -hmm. look at issues like education, um, environmental, you know, cleaning up the city and making it livable for all communities across the city. Um, And and in terms of uh, access to those who can work in government. And so you see things like government transparency and access throughout a lot of the plans she listed. And those are to get also more representation in city government, meaning representation not only by race and ethnicity, but by community. Where do people live? Um, And you see people who she's already appointed who have real roots in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. but across different neighborhoods. So I think, as Dave mentioned, that will also help across these relationships because it's not just relationships with the council, it's relationships with community organizations, community leaders, leaders um, in public safety and law enforcement. And she's trying, I think, um, to build and continue to build those relationships Mm. very early on and signaling that she's going to prioritize those voices in her action plan. If you're just joining us, uh, this is Studio Two from Mm -hmm. WHYY. We are waiting for now, Mayor Sherelle Parker yes. to to offer her inaugural remarks at the Met in Philadelphia. Uh, that speech should be starting momentarily, mm-hmm. and we will bring it to you live when it starts. But right now, we're talking with Kelly Dittmar and Dave Davies. They're going to be here after the speech to give you some analysis as well. Kelly wanted to go back to something you just said. Um, this is a, a statistic from the Inquirer. At one point, at least, 17 senior mayor members of her administration had been announced. This is mm-hmm. Parker's administration. Every one of them was either from Philadelphia or had worked in government or politics here. You talked about what she was signaling with that. Can you go a little deeper there? What do you make of her appointments and announcements so far 
in regards to sort of who she's trusting. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of these folks are well known. Um, so again, they bring their own relationships and constituencies to their position. So you've heard already in the ceremonies today, multiple references to new police commissioner Kevin Bethel mm-hmm. as somebody who's mm-hmm. respected by many people. Of course, this is, can be a controversial position. So you want somebody who has that type of reputation not coming in from the outside. Um, and so you see that as something she's prioritized. But also add there is diversity, again, of other in other ways. Um, so racial um, diversity, there are many women in high-level mm-hmm. positions that she has appointed in her, on her own staff and to some of these what are effectively cabinet positions. Um, and though all of those things, again, signal what voices are you bringing to the table? What sorts of experiences, um, background are you valuing in this executive decision-making? And last thing I would say is that in these appointments, one thing that you've heard you know, reported by many here is that she was sitting down with leaders, again, community leaders, experts in these areas before choosing these people. And that's important, too. And I want to bring Dave into this, because one of the things that, you know, as Kelly was talking about some of the attributes, everybody being from Philly, having had this long list of experience, people we know, people want change, though, in Mm -hmm. City Hall. And there's a lot of change in City Council. But bringing all folks that have already been around is that the cha- is that change not necessarily mm-hmm. you know i think the other thing that we're seeing in all of this this great number of appointments from people who are already in the mm-hmm. government or have been in the government is that i mean honestly the the Sherelle Parker transition was kind of slow off the dime i mean mm-hmm. you know she knew in may she was going to be the mayor and i think a lot of past mayors have really gotten busy talking to people, interviewing people, and it it just doesn't seem as if the the Parker team did that as quickly. And most of the department heads have not been named. She named mm-hmm. an acting fire chief, but and we don't know if that's going to be the permanent fire chief. And I think there are a lot more jobs to fill. And, you know, one former mayor that I spoke with said, you know, once you're in office, you have less time for interviewing than you did before you're in office. And mm-hmm. so... I mean, I I wouldn't want to make too much of it, but I think that's what we're seeing in some respects. I think they felt they needed to get some appointments out there, and there were some folks that they knew, like Adam Teal, who they wanted to lock in and get. He'll be the managing director, correct? He is the managing. He he used to be the fire chief, Mm -hmm. right? Going back, going back to the idea of people we've heard of, people we kind of know. But Dave, uh, for folks who maybe don't know Parker's journey as well. You know, where does she come from politically? What does her base look like? And, and what is sort of chart her rise for us a little bit? Because folks who, who didn't follow this are going to get to know her a lot better over the next four years. Right. I mean, her, her personal origin, she'll talk about in the speech, mm-hmm. which she's very proud mm-hmm. of. They're very humble. She comes from a political faction, if you will, um, of African-American leaders in northwest Philadelphia. You know, back in the 80s, when independent black politics really emerged in the city, there were really two groups. There was one in West Philly and North Philly that tended to have a base of relatively poorer black voters. That was headed by John Street and Mm -hmm. Lucian Blackwell. And then this group in the Northwest, which was sort of more working and middle class black voters. And they were terrific at generating turnout in big margins, particularly in the 10th and 50th wards up in West Oak Lane. Mm -hmm. They added on to that great fundraising ability, and they were led by Congressman William Gray. I mean, Mm -hmm. you guys will know this name. Some may not. Mm -hmm. He was a towering figure, uh, became a real kingmaker in the city, and became also quite powerful in Washington. 
Washington before he left in 1991. But they did this, they used that that political turnout machine and fundraising to get people elected and build alliances. They had terrific um, racial crossover appeal. And uh, Dwight Evans, the congressman, was one of theirs. I mentioned Bill Gray. I mean, Michael Nutter was kind of allied with them, although he was really from a different neighborhood. But that's been a very strong and potent political faction clan, if you will. And, And Sherelle Parker grew up in it at the knee of Marion Tasco, who was one of the kind of the groundbreaking women in black politics in the city. She served as a city commissioner, then a long time on city council. And Sherelle grew up in her organization. Then she went to the state legislature, where she really proved her mettle. I mean, she became leader of the city's Harrisburg delegation and really got some stuff done, worked with Michael Nutter on some critical funding issues. Then took Marion Tasco's seat in city council when Tasco resigned and proved herself to be, you know, a serious legislator there. And now she's ready for the next big step. And it's a big one indeed. It is a big one. And, you know, uh, people will get to know Sherelle Parker. One of the things she talked about is she's changing uh, some of the reporting, uh, the way uh, people can who who reports directly to the mayor, and now um, you have to go through the big three mm-hmm. in order to get access to her. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that compare? You, you you know the way she's changing the way the, the reporting structure. Um, how does that compare to other mayors? Dave? You know, there's, there's a lot of different models. When Wilson Good did it, he did it the way the city charter defined it. The, the city charter actually defined a four-member cabinet besides the mayor, mm-hmm. and he had those cabinet meetings. When Edwin Dell came in, it was a chief of staff-oriented government because he had this insane guy who could work 18 hours a day and be very effective, David L. Cohen, who was just a remarkable leader. And kind of the government all ran around him. And then hybrids have emerged. You know, I've I've talked to people who do transitions, and I think what's important about that is is that the lines of authority and decision-making are clear. What you don't want is to have a situation in which there are three people who are seen as important and may have specific titles, but it's not exactly clear who controls the mayor's schedule. Where who, does the buck stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that that's you know that's one of the unanswered questions about Sherelle Parker. I think you mm-hmm. know she's a smart, you know, hardworking person and is a terrific communicator, the best mm-hmm. public speaker we've had since Ed Rendell. Uh, running a big organization requires executive skills, and I think clear lines of of communication and decision making are important. And uh, thank you so much, Dave Davies. We're going to cut away now. Mm -hmm. Mayor Parker is about to take her oath and speak at the Met. We're going to cut away from Studio Two. We will be back after her remarks with reactions and analysis. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Let me hear you all say one Philly, a United City. I love you, Philly, and together we're going to get to work. Thank you. There you have it, Mayor Sherelle Parker, saying not everyone is going to be happy, but asking for help from everyone in the city to come together over a 100-day period. And the police commissioner, who's just leaving out the door now, headed to Kensington to be sworn in. And she's directing the managing director to convene local, state, and federal partners to explore all options and funding sources for long-term housing. And the keying in on the quality of life 
crimes such as ATVs and cleaning up the drug corners such as Kensington. I'm Tom McDonald. We're live at the Met. Let's hand it back to the studio and extend it, Studio 2. Thank you so much, Tom. Avi Wolfman Aaron along with you. Cherry Gregg, my co-host. This is a very special Mm. inaugural edition of Studio 2 on WHYY. Mm. And now we're going to have a little analysis. I want to reintroduce our panel who was listening along to that speech with you. Dave Davies is a former WHYY political reporter and Fresh Air contributor. Dave, thanks for being with us today Good on to Studio Two. Um, Kelly Dittmar is associate professor of political science at Rutgers Camden and director of research at the Center for American Women and Politics at the Eagleton Institute of Politics. Kelly, thanks for being with us today on Studio Two. Thank you. We also have standing by on the phone Solomon Jones, radio host and Philadelphia Inquirer columnist. Solomon, thanks for joining us on Studio Two. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, I, I want to start by getting reaction to that very expansive inauguration speech. And I want to start with you, Solomon. Mayor Parker spoke for nearly an hour. She thanked many people who helped her, laid out her 100-day plan and her vision. Lots of promises made during that speech. Your takeaway, Solomon? My takeaway is collaboration. I think that it has been a hallmark of who Sherelle Parker is um, and who she's been as an office holder, as someone who has come up through a political structure, who's really been trained to do this by many of the people she mentioned. She mentioned Augusta Clark. She mentioned Dwight Evans. She mentioned Marion Tasco. These are people who really laid a, a groundwork for uh, the power base that you see in the northwest part of the city. Um, I might say that I've, I've known Sherelle Parker for many years, have, have worked uh, in uh, city council as a legislative aide when she was a legislative aide, have seen her as state representative and, and city council member, have seen her as a, as a neighbor as well. And so I, I think that her speech was no different from who she's been on the various mm-hmm. things that she has done throughout her career. Um, and even uh, personally, she is about collaboration, and that's what came through in this speech. Yeah. And, and I, I, go ahead, Dave. I, yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just having deja vu as I listen to Sherelle Parker finish that speech. And, and 40 years ago, in 1983, when Wilson Good, the city's first black mayor, accepted um, on election night, he gave this speech, which reminded me of this, you know, Sherelle talked about transformative change, and he was going to give us, you know, better schools and safer streets and safer and and cleaner streets and more jobs and a better, more responsive city government. And he, he, at the end of the speech, he stood up and and leaped into the air and said, will you help me? And the crowd said, yes. It was, Mm. there was a sense of optimism, the first black mayor, wide support. And the problem is when you raise expectations, particularly if you promise to do something within 100 days, or as Wilson Good had the habit of saying, in 30 days or 90 days, we're going we're gonna to tackle something. You know, city government is not exactly a, a well-oiled machine and mm. very responsive. It takes time and, and effort. And uh, it's not a substantive criticism. These are all important things that need to be done. But I, I'm a little concerned that maybe she's raising expectations and putting dates hmm. on them that are going to lead to some stories where reporters go out and say, well, you were going to have this one-stop portal for all of the city's housing programs within 100 days, and guess what? It's not quite there. And Sort of uh, creating her own report yeah. card, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It can, and, it can be an issue. And Kelly, your reaction to yeah, that? Yeah, I think there's kind of a, um, a middle road there, right? Because on one hand, as Solomon's saying, 
the kind of emphasis on collaboration led her to say at the end of that speech, I'm not Superwoman. I can't do this alone, right? And so in some ways, she's setting up to say, yes, these are the ambitions that I have, and this is the vision that I have for the city. But it's going to take the work of not only all of the people she mentioned Mm -hmm. um, throughout the speech, but it's going to take you, Philly. Um, It's going to take citizens putting pressure to speed up what is going to be an arduous process. And I have no doubt, uh, as as Dave's saying, that it's going to be hard to get this done in a timeline. But I think one of the things she has and brings that can kind of save her from some of that report card, oh, she didn't do it, is she has a type of authenticity and energy Mm -hmm. and sort of... um, uh, accessibility um, to folks in the city where I think she can go back to them and say, look, I told you I couldn't mm-hmm. do this by mm-hmm. myself. And here and here are the things. I mean, she throughout the speech at various times is very kind of honest in her ad libs and and talking pretty bluntly about her experiences and what people told her. And we've seen that mm-hmm. on the campaign trail. I think that kind of helps her Mm -hmm. um, in hopefully moving some of this forward and also appeasing some of the criticism that will surely come. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about the rhetoric um, and her approach there. I went back and watched Jim Kenney's initial inaugural speech in 2016. It clocked in at a total of 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. There was an ad-libbed preamble in this speech that ran over 10 minutes and the whole thing um, over an hour. But there were so many high moments in it as well. Mm -hmm. And at the end, she said, I hope you've been feeling a sense of renewed energy. Solomon Jones, what did you make of her rhetorical approach in this speech and how it contrasts with her predecessor? I thought it was interesting because she did a couple of things. She used um, some acronyms. So she said, Mm -hmm. GTY, get to yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said, PI, prevention and intervention and enforcement. She talked about clean and green. She talked about intergovernmental cooperation. And what struck me is that these were the same things that she was saying on the campaign trail. Um, and really, I think, saying it in a way that people will remember that this is what she said. Mm-hmm. I think the key for her in getting these things done um, in the time frame that she's talked about is having an actual plan. I've watched Sherelle Parker have plans and be able to kind of convene people around different things. Um, for instance, we, we had in our community a, um, uh, a marijuana dispensary that wanted to come to the community. Sherelle Parker brought together people from the state, people from the city, people from the community, and had a plan to fight against that and eventually made them move someplace else. Now, that might seem like a small thing on a citywide scale, but she had – a plan, And I think when you have a plan, it's different than when you just promise something and think that the city apparatus is going to do that. No, you have people at all levels who are going to work together with you in order to make that happen. I don't think she's saying this without a plan. I wanted to get um, Kelly Dittmar, your thoughts on uh, the section of the speech where she talked about some of the trailblazing women in Philadelphia politics uh, and in particular, you know, her mentor. Marion Tasco. Um, you know, much will be made of the fact that she is the first uh, female mayor of Philadelphia. Um, what did you make of her approach to that in the speech? Yeah, I think she had to and and wanted to give credit to those women who came before her, who set 
the groundwork. I mean, you think about the difficulties that she has faced. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no doubt that she has navigated political systems, male dominated, white dominated, when she particularly when she was in the state legislature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, She she started out in the state legislature when there were just five black women total Mm -hmm. in in a over 200 member body. So she knows what it is to navigate these institutions that have been historically raised, historically gendered in ways that that don't accept people like her. And I think she came out pretty bluntly and said, you know, I was not expected to be in this position. Why? And here are all the reasons. It's not just gender. It's not just race. It's class. It's upbringing. Um, And by giving some of that legacy, not only to her own personal story, but the story of other women who soften the ground, if you will, or at least mentored her in how to navigate these spaces. I think it reminds us how historic this is, because it's rare for the women who come in these positions. They don't want to talk all the time about I'm a woman or I'm a black woman because they want to talk about the qualifications and what they're going to do. But I think it's important to recognize it because her mayorship will matter for other women who will come Mm -hmm. after her because she'll set a groundwork and a precedent for representation that others will see and maybe question a little less, uh, in this case, black women's executive leadership, which I should say, by the way, is still relatively rare. Um, And so... You know, we have eight black women mayors in top 100 cities across Mm -hmm. the country. Um, That's good. And there's been a lot of progress, but that's not enough. And in in the state of Pennsylvania, we've had no black women ever serve in statewide offices. Um, And so we have a lot of room to grow. No black woman governor ever in the United States. So to have a black woman in executive leadership and then credit the women who came before her, I think, is is really notable and an important part of her speech. And I also want to mention she's the first mother as mayor. Yeah. Um, you know, her son is 11 years old, standing beside her uh, when she was sworn in. And I and I think about, you know, her talking about, you know, she went to the University of Pennsylvania, also at HBCU at Lincoln University. And she talks about the fact, and I want you, Dave, to weigh in on this, as well as Solomon, the fact that, you know, none of her positions um, will dictate how she, she, she talks about none of that means anything. It's about her authenticity. She brought, talked about her story. Talk about what that authenticity will do for her and her own personal story and her position as a mother will help um, while she tries to govern the city. Well, I, I, you know, I think it is a very powerful story. And, you know, she, she made the point of describing that on election night and again today. Uh, and I do think it, you know, it establishes where she comes from and her perspective on policy issues and political issues. And I think, yeah, I think it does give her, her a powerful voice. Um, you know, she's still got to execute, right? I mean, she's yeah. still got to find the smart people to run the government and run the government right. But I think it's one of the things that make her such a powerful communicator. And, you know, what Solomon said a moment ago about collaboration, I mean, I mentioned this earlier mm-hmm. when we were just talking. I think that is one of her strongest assets is that she understands – how political relationships works, how you, you know, you, you know, you keep your word, you don't promise things you can't deliver, you keep, you keep in touch. And those things matter when you need to work together to get things done, which she did when she was in Harrisburg. I mean, they're very tangible accomplishments. And quick follow up to include you, Solomon. She mentioned expert articulators of problems. We've all heard these people <laughs> in Philadelphia who constantly tell you mm-hmm. how, what the problem is, but don't have solutions. I, you know, I want to tie in her story and all the different aspects of her. Do you, is it rallying the troops? Do you see people wanting to step up and help, Solomon? I do. I think that one of the things that, that we have to pay attention to is the makeup of the Democratic Party. 
um, the most loyal uh, voter block in the Democratic Party is black women. And so you are beginning to see black women reap the benefits of that. Joanna McClinton as the Speaker of the House. Tamika Lane as a judge who was uh, elected statewide. So that is a black woman statewide on the appellate court in Pennsylvania. And then you have, of course, Sherelle Parker as the mayor. I think that that loyal voting base can hear her and see her as a mother, can hear her and see her as someone who's come from the poverty that besets so many uh, Philadelphia neighborhoods and can see her as somebody who, like them, has had to overcome a lot in order to get in the position that she's in. I think that's going to bode well for her in terms of how she's received by the voters who will want to come on board and, and help because they see themselves in her. I just we should probably just mention in terms of path breaking moments. Summer Lee is a yeah, congress yeah, black yeah. congresswoman from from Pennsylvania. Yeah. We, we've never had that before. I don't I mean, think. And yeah. this is all in the last year and a half. You know, yeah. so this yeah. is She's, important progress. Right. Absolutely. Been. And still, we should point out there has not been a woman U.S. senator of or course. governor of the state of right. Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit there about her story and how it might connect with people. And she also talked in this speech. I thought this was interesting. And this was ad lib. This was not planned from the speech that we received beforehand. Mm -hmm. She talked about how when she was on the campaign, people advised her to change her tone in different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, She mentioned talking a different way in Northeast Philadelphia, for instance, and that she refused to do that. Um, Solomon, what did you make of of that part of the speech? And again, that was that was something that she decided to say, Mm -hmm. I think maybe against what her advisors wanted her to say. Mm -hmm. What did you make of that part of the speech, Solomon? Well, I think that's something that bit Jeff Brown, and I, I know Jeff Brown. He is a, a good man and someone who I'm sure will serve the city well uh, from that business perspective. But that's one of the things that bit him. People accused him of speaking one way in the Northeast and another way in, in black communities. And I think that, you know, for, for Philadelphia, and this is across the board, across racial uh, barriers and across class and across uh, economics, People want genuine mm-hmm. uh, people in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. no matter where you come from, no matter what part of Philadelphia. That's the one thing I think that holds us together. And I think, again, you know, she understands that having been here all her life and, and knowing that uh, people are going to be watching what you say in one place as compared to someplace else. And I, I wonder, as a follow up to what um you know, Solomon just said, and you think about her authenticity. Will that give will that give uh, Uh, encourage people to give Mayor Parker grace because a lot of us have been waiting. People have been waiting in the city. They've, they've, uh, we've seen a lot of problems spike in the city, although crime and things are getting better, but will they, they, they want change now. And it's almost like she's here now. They're like, okay, snap fingers. Will change happen? Does this authenticity open the door for grace? Because it's going to take time. There's a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, yeah. 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 I mean, I think it, it could go both ways and it will, depending on the community, uh, you know, and, and the group of, of voters, constituents, commentators, et cetera. But on the one hand, I do think, again, her directness, like her, her willingness to say something off script mm-hmm. means that you'll hear why things didn't get done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that That's her, true, her, yeah. her, uh, her staff may not 
appreciate that. Um, but she will most likely be more honest than others about why things are held up. And that can help with voters. That can help with the average citizen who wants to understand why this isn't moving along. At the same point, I think about, I mean, again, she is a black woman as a first in a position. You look at our vice president, people going, why is she doing enough? Why isn't this getting done? We had high hopes for her. Mm -hmm. And almost those who share her identities tend to have higher hopes. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is our, we want her to prove that black women can do this job and that they can be successful. She said it a little bit in her speech, those expectations placed on her. So on the other hand, I think we have to all be attentive to the fact that those expectations shouldn't be greater and Mm -hmm. higher just because she's making history. But I think she will confront that in some of the evaluations of both voters and, and those in the kind of political ecosystem who are saying, but we thought she would do even more in this trailblazing Mm -hmm. kind of uh, position as the first black woman. Because it's not magic, after all. Sure, yeah, surely yeah, yeah. isn't. Magic a lot, yeah. And by the way, folks, you are listening to a special Inauguration Day edition of Studio 2 on WHYY 90.9. I want to reintroduce our panelists. We're speaking with Dave Davies, former WHYY political reporter and Fresh Air contributor. Kelly Dittmar is Associate Professor of Political Science at Rutgers Camden and Director of Research at the Center for American Women in Politics at the Eagleton Institute of Politics. And Solomon Jones is on the phone with us, radio host and Philadelphia Inquirer columnist. Um, Dave, was there anything from a policy perspective that stuck out to you in this speech? I mean, Solomon mentioned a lot of the things that she referenced were things that she has talked about on the campaign trail, not huge surprises. Um, just looking at the policy uh, landscape of this speech, anything that you seized on? Yeah, I think I think it is generally consistent with the Sherelle Parker that we saw in the campaign. But it struck me that, for example, when she talked about public safety, she didn't just talk about homicide. She talked about mm-hmm. dealing with shoplifting and Ill- illegal use of ATVs and things like that, kind of quality of life things, which really make people frustrated when they feel like there's just nothing we can do. People are running through the street. I think also the focus on private sector job creation. You mm. know, I think she felt like – She's somebody who feels like, you know, she she is concerned, as are a lot of people, that, you know, uh, at vacancy rates in Center City and a lack of private sector jobs and that 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 nothing pulls people out of poverty, poverty better than a good job. And so I think those are things that she'll want to focus on. Um, and I want to bring Solomon into the conversation. Solomon, she said Philly is open for business day one. She wanted everybody to know that. Um, Sherelle Parker, one of the things that I... Mayor Parker, I have to make sure I say that, Mayor Parker, (laughs) one of the things that I I always noticed about her is her focus on economics, even more than public safety, that is before running for mayor. Um, How important will that be as well? And I want you to talk about, you know, minority owned businesses and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity here to really sort of change that poverty statistic in Philadelphia. How do you think she'll do on that? I think it's going to be interesting because I think she's going to need uh, the private sector to buy in. One of the things that's going to be interesting and, and one of the things that's going to be helpful for her this year is the political significance of Philadelphia in terms of bringing Pennsylvania to the Democratic side uh, in the presidential race. There's mm. going to be a lot of attention on Philadelphia. The federal government is going to be willing to give a whole lot to Philadelphia. The Biden administration is going to be willing to give a whole lot to Philadelphia. And I think she's going to have to take advantage of that. And I think that she will 
in order to bring about some of that economic help that she's talking about. That's one. I think the other thing is that when when you look at uh, the businesses that, that are here in the city of Philadelphia and you look at the issue of public safety, like uh, like Dave said, you know, the best way out of poverty is a job. It's not a government program. It's mm-hmm. not just other stuff. It's a job. And so um, you have companies here that, that want their employees to be safe. You want your employees to be safe. Hire some of these people uh, who are in need of and who want to work. The problem is they have not had the opportunity. Uh, Sherelle Parker is going to have to coax some people to create those opportunities so that people can be financially secure, economically safe, and therefore physically safe as well. Solomon, can I follow up? businesses is, is a big part of that. Can I, can I just follow up on that, Solomon, and, and ask you, because we've talked a lot about her relationships, and mm-hmm. we've talked about that in the perspective, uh, in, the, in the context of government, right? She knows people at the state level. She knows a lot of people at the local level. She has a lot of government connections from her long career. What do you make of her connections in the business world, in the private sector? Do you think they're as strong? I don't know that they are. But here's what I do know, that when you have political power, that uh, that private companies mm-hmm. want access to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that regardless of what she's had in the past, I think that private companies, it would behoove them uh, to get to <laughs> yeah. know Sherelle Parker. Absolutely. Um, she literally had Kamala Harris at her house. And yes, so, she did. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that uh, people will understand those relationships um, and, and they're going to want to be a part of that. And and one of the things of the job of mayor is to be a convener, right? Yeah. Also yeah. to be a cheerleader. We had a mayor who on our show admitted that that wasn't his best attribute. Yes. Um, I want to talk about Sherelle Parker, Mayor Sherelle Parker, as a convener, as a cheerleader, as the person who has to bring all of these people together. Dave, Kelly, Solomon, your thoughts on her ability to do that and 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 to close the gap, a gap that we've seen um, for quite some time now. I, I think she's an inspirational figure wherever she is. I mean, I think that, that you know, I, I used to watch Ed Rendell, and it, was, it would amaze me how he would go, to, whatever the group is, breast camps or whatever, he would go to visit that group, and if he had to speak for, for 15 minutes, he'd find some part of his own experience that connected with it and just project it on a 70-millimeter screen. And and Sherelle can do that, too. I mean, I think she... She will be really, really good at the public-facing part of the job. The question is, you know, you gotta gotta make sure that the, all the other parts deliver on on on, on the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. She'll be great perspective. At that. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, a, part of the role of an executive is that is to be the face, right, the face and the voice of an administration, and then bring good people who can do the work and make sure that your mm-hmm. vision is executed. And I think she is good on vision. As Solomon said, it's not as if she does not have a plan. Um, and then she has brought, as we talked about before the speech, she's bringing people that have experience and how to navigate what is a difficult bureaucracy to try to get it done. Um, so, I, you know, I, I agree. I think she'll bring people together. I think she'll engage citizens of the city mm-hmm. who probably didn't know very much about Jim Kenney um, and who might already know more about a Sherelle Parker and be interested to hear more from her. Mm-hmm. Kelly, can I just go back to you with a question that, that I asked earlier to Solomon? Policy in this speech, anything that stood out to you? For instance, you know, she talked about her education platform and she added a line back in about keeping schools open year round from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. 
That stuck out to me because she'd gotten some pushback on that and it was not in the original speech. Um, uh, whether it's that or anything else that uh, sort of policy wise that you felt like jumped out to you um, that you think might be something to watch in the early days yeah. of the Parker administration. Well, I think on education, it's absolutely, you know, her discussion of year round education can be controversial, if you will, just because it seems so hard to execute. Yeah, it's a big um, lift. It's, yeah. it's a big lift. You see in her 100-day action plan that she doesn't actually say she's going to do it, but she's going to bring together a working group to try to explore this possibility. And that makes sense. I mean, you, you couldn't get it done in that, that period of time. Um, but I think the modernization of schools, that comes up in our everyday news. Everyday Philadelphians see when schools are closed because there aren't air conditioners, yeah. right? So that's something tangible, I think, if she can do some of that infrastructure-based improvement in schools, that'll hit a lot of voters with kids. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, we, we made note that she's a mom, and she's mm-hmm. a mom of a school-age kid. And so thinking about, and her coming to it from the perspective of a mom with a school-age child about schedules, Mm -hmm. about access to to good education across neighborhoods. That's the authenticity, and that's where representation matters because you can speak to it from lived experience and lived experience that is happening in the very now. I think we should say, Mm -hmm. just just point out that all that stuff is really expensive. (laughs) Construction costs in Philadelphia are really expensive. Modernizing schools, that's really expensive. The other thing that, as we look forward, that interests me is while she is talking about Engaging the private sector in job creation and and you know enforcing quality of life crimes and give, giving the police a greater role mm-hmm. uh, in, in in public safety. You have a lot of people on city council that have a different take on a lot of this stuff. Mm. They are worried about helping the neediest citizens and not helping business, particularly not you know not doing wage tax cuts. And it'll be interesting to see how that relationship develops. And, and that's what I want to bring Solomon in because that's one of the things we talked to earlier before we heard uh, Mayor Parker's speech. Solomon, I want you to talk about this relationship between the mayor and city council president, uh, Kenyatta Johnson, also city council um, she talked about earlier in her speech how she didn't want the little black people fighting each other and she yeah. wanted folks to work together. How critical will that partnership be in your eyes? I think that partnership is going to be very critical. One of the things you heard Ed Rendell talk about constantly and John Street talk about as well was the relationship between Ed Rendell as the mayor and John Street as city council president. Um, you have to collaborate with your council president in order to get stuff done as the mayor. Council holds the purse strings. Uh, they bring your administration before them to talk about that budget. And you have to make sure that you have the votes there to get your stuff, get your priorities through. Um, I think they've had a good relationship while they work together on city council. It's a relationship that I watch. I think there might be a, a few people who have some different ideas about how things should get done. I think there's probably three people on council who have very progressive views about Mm -hmm. how things should get done. But they're in the minority. They're not going to win when it comes to getting those nine votes. Um, I suspect that those nine votes that they're going to need to get most of that agenda through have already uh, been established. Who are our nine? Who are the people who are going to get our stuff done? And once you have that, uh, it doesn't really matter what the other people think. You've got the nine votes to get things through council. A couple minutes left, but you mentioned there, you alluded to, Solomon, this idea of sort of that progressive Mm -hmm. centrist divide. Mm -hmm. And I did note, Dave, (laughs) that she shouted out New York City Mayor Eric Adams in Mm -hmm. this speech. Um, uh, I thought she was signaling something there, but just generally, did you think she sort of signaled uh, 
again something that she's talked about in the past that I'm uh, sort of not with the progressive wing all yeah, the way. You know, it's interesting in this in this piece in the New Yorker. He said, you know, she said, I'm not one of those lefties. I'm not one yeah, of those defunders. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, Eric Adams. Yeah, I mean, boy, he certainly has taken a more centrist course, and and particularly now pushing back on. You know, immigrants and yep. them living in New York City. Yeah, maybe. I think, yeah, she's kind of staking out a certain position that says we're going we're gonna to address the problems that we need to and, and not be deterred. And I want each of you to take about 15 seconds and just tell me if you have one thing that you think will be the biggest challenge. I love doing this. <laughs> one thing, the biggest challenge and biggest opportunity you see for Mayor Parker um, over these next 100 days. And uh, Solomon, we'll start with you. Um, since you do radio every single day, <laughs> go right ahead. Tell us big opportunity, big challenge next hundred days for Mayor Parker. Well, I think a, a big opportunity is to uh, do something like get off, get all the abandoned cars off the street. Mm. There's already a blueprint for that. She shouted out John Street. She mm-hmm. talked about that and talked about how people remember that. Uh, that is something she's going to be able to get done. She said how she's going to do it. If you notice. She said we're going to get our friends at the Philadelphia Parking Authority. That's mm-hmm. one. I think the challenge will be addressing poverty in the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. Poverty in Philadelphia is entrenched. Yeah. Um, and so that is going to be her biggest challenge. Yeah. How do you get jobs for people that people don't want to employ? And how do you lift yeah. them out of poverty? Real, real quick, Kelly, challenge opportunity. Yeah. So I think opportunity um, is leveraging this moment and the mm-hmm. energy around her swearing in um, the historic nature of it. We see it both at the city, state, and national level. And so you can leverage that for a lot of different purposes. Uh, challenge is keeping that energy and yes, attention up absolutely. among voters. Real quick, Dave. Uh, public safety and jobs are both challenges and opportunities, but I say forget about 100 days. You're going to be there for two terms. There you yes, go. There <laughs> mayors get reelected. <laughs> think long term and make an impact Don't over time. Don't give yourself a timeline. This Dave is just saying that the, since the beginning. beginning. <laughs> uh, we want to thank our guests for joining us. Dave Davies, former WHYY political reporter, Fresh Air contributor. Kelly Dittmar, associate professor of political science at Rutgers Camden. And Solomon Jones, a radio host and columnist at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thanks to you all for being here today on Studio 2. Yes, and for more Studio 2, you can follow WHYY on all social platforms and download the show wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Debbie Builder, Paige Murray-Bessler, and Andreas Copes. Al Banks engineered today's program from Studio 2 at WHYY. I am Cherry Gregg. And I'm Avi Wolfman-Arendt. We will see you tomorrow, folks. Here and Now is up next.